Uh, let's dive in today to part five. This is our final installment of our series, Risk Takers. If you are new to Catalyst, uh, we teach and preach in series. And we've been looking at, in this series, um, we've been kind of looking at it from this angle, that you were created in the image of God, and he is the great I am. Therefore, you were created in the image of greatness. Uh, so if you've ever had something on the inside of you where you thought to yourself, and I'm called to do something significant with my life. I'm called to do something great in my life. That is from God. In fact, the disciples at one point, I love this in the New Testament, they're arguing over who is the greatest. And they're not talking about the greatest in basketball because we know it's Michael Jordan, right? Come on. Jesus would have said, not LeBron James, Michael Jordan. Um, that's the Jeremy extended version of the Bible. Um, not real. Um, but he says... He says he doesn't rebuke them or correct them or devalue them for wanting to be great. He just says, be the servant of all. So God has no problem with you doing something great with your life. I don't know what your background or church culture may be, but God does not, not kind of shun away from greatness. He just has a way in which we go about it. So in this series, we've been looking at men and women in scriptures um, and who did something significant for God and gleaning principles and lessons from their life. And I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for today uh, because we're talking about someone who I, I just think his, um, his life is a, is a beautiful depiction of the power of the grace of God and the goodness of God, and that is the life of Samson. If you're unfamiliar, uh, Samson, Judges 13 through 16, where it chronicles his life, um, we see this man is, is, is greatly gifted by God. And can I say this? And this is, this is biblical, so I want you to receive this. You are greatly gifted by God. Did you know that? Like, like God gifted Samson with supernatural strength, but some of you have some supernatural administrative skills. Come on, somebody. Some of you have a supernatural gifted of leadership. Some of you are, like our worship team, our production team, are supernaturally gifted with creativity and to work with their hands. Like, you have gifts. In fact, part of our next steps class is to help you discover your spiritual gifts because we want you to know you're greatly gifted. But watch this. Samson is greatly gifted, but he's also deeply flawed. And can I encourage you this Sunday morning at 11.45 a.m.? Come on, somebody. You are greatly gifted, but you are also deeply flawed. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Come on, somebody. But you know it's true. Come on. Those of you in marriage, you look to your spouse like, yeah, it's true for you. I know he's flawed. I don't know if he's gifted, though. Come on. No, we're all greatly gifted, but we're deeply flawed. But listen, here's the encouraging part. That's why we need a Savior, and his name is Jesus. Can I get amen? But don't get it twisted. Church is not a do-better club. We, we don't gather. How can I be a better person? You will always fall short, the Bible says. It doesn't mean we don't allow the Spirit of God to convict us and shape us and form us. What it means is you will never attain perfection, and that's why you needed a Savior. So, so Samson, I love Samson's life because, man, he is greatly gifted, but, man, we're going to see. Man, Samson has some issues, and, uh, but, but God is still gracious in his life. So let's pray before we dive in. Father, we thank you. God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, we open our hearts and minds to receive from you today. 
It is in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. Judges 14, if you have your Bibles, is where we're going to be today. Judges chapter 14. We'll jump around to a few chapters, but uh, to give context of where we are in the life of Samson, Judges 13, an angel of the Lord appears to his mom and dad and basically say that you are going to have a son. And why this was powerful was Samson's mom was unable to have children up until this point. But they said you are to raise him according to the Nazarite vow. Now, the Nazarite vow was a vow essentially of devotion to God in that culture. And what that Nazarite vow included was you were not to touch any dead animals. Uh, So for all you steak lovers, no steak. Come on, somebody. No fermented drink. So, So no wine, no alcohol. And you were not to cut your hair. So that was part of the Nazarite vow. Again, that was then. So, so they agreed. We will raise him according to the Nazarite vow. So where we pick up in Judges 14, um, we don't know exactly. There's lots of kind of historical uh, documents kind of pointing to how old Samson was. The general consensus is from this time of Judges 14 till his death, Samson was between 20 and 40 years old. So a pretty young man um, at this point. Uh, of his life. So Judges 14, we're going to pick up in verse 1. It says this, that Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as, his, as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all your people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistine to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Samson then went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward them. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon them so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman and he liked her. Sometime later, he went, when, we went, when he went to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. In it saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate it as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. So there's three things I want us to point out from Samson, Samson's life. The first two... Um, is really kind of, kind of learning what not to do with Samson's life. Uh, and the last one, we're really going to see that even with all of Samson's mistakes, we see the power of the grace of God in his life. So here's the first point if you're taking notes. The first thing we learn from Samson that we should do, that he did not do, is listen to godly counsel. Listen to godly counsel. So, Samson goes down to Timnah, and he is determined, I'm going to marry a a Philistine woman. His parents trying to tell him, Samson, no, you should not go down there. And and, and I thought to myself, we're going to see one of Samson's weaknesses was was women. Uh, He he had a hard time controlling his passion with women. We're going to see. So I I wonder if in this moment, maybe his his mom and dad saw some things in his, his young life that they were like, no, you don't want to go down there to that Philistine woman because they could see that Samson had this weakness 
that ends up being his, his downfall and leads ultimately to his death that we're going to see. But, but they're trying to tell him, Samson, do not go. And a common theme we see in the life of Samson is Samson, come on, you, you cannot tell Samson anything. Come on, any parents, you raise a kid like that? Come on, somebody. We're going to pray for that child after service, right? <laughs> you can't tell him anything. Like, you tell them what to do, they're going to do the opposite. That was Samson. That was Samson. So he's, he's going to go ahead, and he goes down to Phyllis, goes down to Timnah towards this Philistine woman. Can I tell you this? In the same way Samson's parents trying to tell him and give him counsel, we need people in our life to give us counsel. You know, this uh, past week, uh, the NFL preseason uh, or season started. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, somebody. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Come on. We got football on Sundays and pumpkin spice everything. Who could not love fall? Right? Come on. I'm here all day, people. I've been here. Come anybody else, you just love fall. Come on. I'm like, summer, go in the name of Jesus. You've had your deal. I'm tired of sweating. All right? This is not fun. So... Uh, but, but I, I love football. But, you know, um, in football, you can have a very gifted quarterback. Let's just use Tom Brady as an example or God's favorite quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Come on, somebody. Go Ravens. Um, and uh, you can have an incredibly gifted quarterback. But if you know football, you know this. The giftedness of a quarterback can only be expressed to the extent of how good his offensive line is. Specifically, if you look at our offensive line, the most important person on Tom Brady's offensive line is his left guard. That's why in the NFL, do you know they recruit left guards in third grade? Because there's a certain sort of body type and structure and strength. That's how, like, young they start raising these left guards. Why? Because if a quarterback does not have a strong left guard, they can have the best arm, the best field vision, and the best accuracy. But if they keep getting hit from behind doesn't matter how gifted they are. If they keep getting hit from behind, they, they, they know, listen, the left guard saves them from getting hit, saves them from fumbling the ball, saves them from losing the game, saves them from injury. They, they protect their blind side. And can I tell you this? In the same way a quarterback, quarterback has someone to protect their blind side, we need someone to protect our blind side. In fact, let me illustrate this for you. I have two of my, my friends going to come up on the stage here. Uh, Pastor Anu and uh, Vanit. Uh, give it up for these gentlemen. They are living out their dream <laughs> to being NFL players. You can tell they resemble NFL linemen. Um, they really look the part. But, but um, here you guys can go right here. See, here's, here's how it works. So if, if, a, if a quarterback, right, they, they, they hike the ball, and then they, they turn and they're blindside, so I can't see. All right, you guys can start. They're blindside, so as Vanit's trying to get to me, Pastor Anu is blocking him, so I can see down the field and make an accurate throw. I got no idea what's happening behind me. Come on, somebody. Give it up for Pastor Anu and Vanit. But listen, listen, you, you, I wanted to give you the visual. Because you see, I, I could not see what was happening behind me. It sounded fun. Can I tell you? You have a blind side 
You, you, you have things in your life that you cannot see. Let, let me flip it on you. Have you ever, maybe your spouse's life, maybe your best friend, maybe, maybe a coworker, have you ever seen something in someone's life that they didn't see because they were in it? Like you could see like, oh, that's not a good decision. Or, or they're taking that relationship a little bit too fast. That's because you see their blind side. And can I tell you, you need someone in your life who's guarding your blind side. Because you can be greatly gifted, but you are deeply flawed. And if you don't have someone looking out for you, guarding you, that's why you need godly counsel. Here's what the Bible says. The way of the fool seems right to them, i.e. Samson. I know what's right. But the wise listen to advice. Can I tell you a cultural message we are fed that's a lie? Is that, well, what's true for me is true for me. Or if it's right for me, it's right for me. No, there, there is truth. Can I get an amen? There, there's truth, and then there's falsehood. You can think you're right and be completely wrong. Come on, all the parents know this. They said amen, right? Come on, you see it in kids. They, they, they think they're right. They think they know what to do. But you know, same is true for us because we are not, um, we are, we are, we are not all-knowing. So we need people in our life. We, we need wise counsel. Can I give you three types of wise counsel I believe is best for you to have in your life? Three types, three levels. The first level is a teacher. You need teachers in your life. Here, here's what a teacher is like. A teacher is someone who can, who can give you counsel from afar. You, you listen to their podcasts. You read their books. You subscribe to their YouTube channels. We have an overabundance of teachers in our culture. And, and you need them. Like I have some that I listen to on a regular basis. I have, there's a Pastor John Tyson in New York City, a Pastor John Mark Comer in Portland, Oregon, a Pastor Tim Ross in Dallas, Texas. These are, are people that I listen, I read their books, I, I listen to their podcasts. Like I, I glean from them. They counsel me from afar. But here's the key difference between teachers and the next level, which the next level is mentors. It's teachers don't know you. And we can, we can deceive ourselves thinking I'm being mentored from, through a podcast, but you're being taught through a podcast. A mentor is in your life. Uh, uh, these, these people I just mentioned that, that, that counsel me, they, they teach me from afar. I have mentors that are in my life. These are people a little bit spiritually further ahead than you. They don't have to be like light years, but a little bit further ahead than you. And they can help provide counsel and wisdom in your relationships, in your work life. Here's the key about mentors. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Scripture says this, that you have many teachers, but you have very few fathers. You have very few spiritual fathers and mothers. And I think one of the things I see culturally, we have an overabundance of teachers, but sometimes you may lack mentors. Now, here's why I think, because I'll be honest, I, I even have my own struggles with this. But I've learned the value of this. A mentor, are you ready for this? Write this down. This is the key. A mentor is somebody who can tell you no to something you want to do. Come on. How many know? We don't like that, do we? It's okay. Like, you don't have to love it. But I want to encourage you to see the value of that. Somebody who says to you, you were wrong when you did this. Let, let me just ask, tell this to you. If you think back to, to the seasons where you've, you've grown personally, spiritually the most, 
I know for me, there are oftentimes seasons where somebody told me something I didn't want to hear. It wasn't when someone affirmed me. Like, you're great. It's like, actually, no, you know what? You can, man, you can actually, the way you're treating Christina here, hey, Jeremy, here's some truth and love. You need some mentors. Let me give one piece of advice, too. Mentors will not seek you out. You need to seek them out. So I've heard people tell me, like, well, I don't have anybody to, to mentor me. Or in Christianism, they'll say, disciple me. Well, you need to seek them out. Like, that's how it goes. You seek, hey, can I buy you lunch? Can I buy you coffee? Can I, can, I, can I sit down, get 30 minutes of your time? And here's what you do. You take a notepad and you ask questions. I know it sounds simple and old school, but I'm telling you, if you have one, two, three, you can't have like, you can have 30 teachers, you can't have 30 mentors. It's usually a handful. In fact, you don't want 30 mentors. You'll end up being confused. Come on. You get three. You know they love you. They love God. They're submitted to God, and they're a little bit further ahead than you. And you know they'll, they'll tell you the hard truth that you need to hear in love. So you have teachers. You have mentors. The last group you need are trusted friends. These are peers. These are a few people in your life who you can entrust to tell you the truth. Who they can, they're close enough to you, but they're not in it with you. They can help discern the will of God, help you to, to navigate situations. You need that in your life. I'm telling you, if you get, if you have some teachers, which probably many of us in this room do, you get some mentors, two, three, I think max is good. Then you have a few trusted friends your life will be better because of it. Can I tell you, I have been saved from many a bad decisions for those last two groups of my life, mentors and friends. They have helped me so much. You need wise counsel. You need wise counsel. The Bible says this in Proverbs 26, speaking of the value of truth, or Proverbs 27, 6, that wounds from a sincere friend are better than the many kisses of an enemy. It's better to be wounded by a friend than for an enemy to kiss and affirm you. Sometimes, when's the last time you allowed someone who loved you and you loved them to lovingly wound you? I'm not saying abuse. or I'm just saying, like, lovingly tell you the truth that hurts. I, I firmly believe this. Your capacity to, to fully walk in the call that God has for you is contingent upon your willingness to submit to godly counsel. I firmly believe it. Your level of submission to some godly counsel will either be that which helps you go to the next level in the call that God has for you, or it can end up being a limiting factor in your life. But then we see later on in verses 8 and 9. This is intriguing. So Samson goes by this dead lion carcass that he tore with his bare hands. Pretty cool. But he scoops honey out of it. What are these? He's eating honey out of a dead carcass, which by Nazarite vow he was not supposed to do. And the Bible includes a detail, which I think is important to note. It says he did not tell his parents that he got honey from the carcass. You know a theme we see in Samson's life? Is Samson kept secrets. Samson kept secrets from people he should have told. And then he eventually told a secret to someone he should have never told, if you know the story. 
Can I tell you this? If you don't have someone in your life who knows the secret sin in your life, the secret character flaws in your life, the secret deficiencies in your life, the parts of you you don't want anybody to know, if no one knows, not everyone can know, but if no one knows, then what happens in Samson's life, eventually everyone will know. Or the people you don't want to know will know. And listen, secret sin is like kryptonite to your calling. I, I, I took my son Judah to go see uh, the new movie, DC Super Pets. I don't know if you've heard of that movie. It's a fun movie. Superheroes. He loved it. Uh, and, and they have like Superman and Super Dog is the main characters. There's this moment in the movie, if, you, if you've seen it, you know it, but I'm sorry if I'm spoiling it, but there's this evil guinea pig. Come on, how many know guinea pigs are always evil? Come on, somebody. You just look at a guinea pig, you're like, something's not right with you. I'm sorry if you have one, but it's true. It's true with cats, too. You know that. You know it's true. Come on, somebody. You know it is. Like, even if you have cats, you're kind of like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that, but anyways, I'm sorry. I love you. I'm, I'm human. I'm deeply flawed. Um, but this guinea, evil guinea pig... Like, he, like, takes Superman away. So the super dog sees it. He's like, I got to go get my, my boy. So he goes over and out the door, but then he sees this, like, piece of, like, Swiss cheese on the floor. Come on. And come on. it's hard to pass up some good cheese, right? So he eats the cheese. So he runs outside to get Superman. He goes to leap a tall building. He has no power. And the evil guinea pig is like, I put kryptonite in the cheese. Can I tell you, I said all of that <laughs> because here's how secret sin, secret character deficiencies, secret flaws are kryptonite because you will end up expending a lot of energy trying to cover up a part of your life that you want no one to see. And you'll end up, because here's why, you don't know how people react if they knew the whole story. So, so maybe you engage in some unethical practice at work. It wasn't illegal, but, you know, it wasn't really ethical or kind. And you're trying to cover it up. So because you're conserving so much energy covering it up, it actually erodes your confidence in your calling because you are worried, what if somebody finds out? Or you have this personal sin area that you're trying to, you don't want anybody to know the person you're dating, your friend. You, you, you expend so much energy trying to cover up, it erodes your confidence. Or you cover up the fact that your marriage hasn't been good for some time. And it's in part because of your, your fault. And, and you're covering up from your friends. You act like everything is great. And can I tell you, we can be most susceptible to this in church, right? You come into church. How are you doing? Blessed and highly favored. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Too blessed to be stressed. Let's go. Praise God. God is good all the time. <laughs> right? Come on. Can I tell you? You putting on a front with everyone is helping no one. You need someone. Not everyone. You can't tell everyone. But you need someone. Here's what we say at Catalyst. You take the mask off. Yes. You say, my marriage isn't really good. It's 
facts, facts, it's because of me. Or, or you say, hey, you know what? My, I've been having this anxiety that's just been, I haven't been sleeping and I'm just stressed and worried. Hey, I have this area that I'm struggling with. You need somebody you can be that honest with. Here's what the Bible says. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. You need someone. Can I tell you, we're going to launch our fall community groups in a few weeks. We have next steps where you can get connected into a serving team. I mean, I encourage you, come to church early. Stay late. Linger in the lobby. Like, why? So you can meet someone that you can have coffee with, you can get lunch with. Hey, can I just tell, can you pray for me? And here's what happened. Listen, when you take the mask off with someone and you let them know about your character, flaws, and everything, when you receive from them acceptance and love and care and support, it will give you confidence in your calling because someone is helping you work on your character. You need somebody that you're opening up to. You have to listen to godly counsel. Here's number two, is you then have to live by principle, not passion. Live by principle and not by passion. Now, Samson was a passionate man. I, I'm a passionate person, I, 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 I'm, if, you, if you can't tell. Um, I, I, I can be very emotional sometimes, and I, I think Samson in this moment, here's what I know and here's what I've learned. If you do not learn to keep your, which you all, we all have some passion. We all have, some, we all have emotion. If you do not keep your passion and your emotions in check, listen, unbridled passion will ultimately lead to pain almost every time. If you just leave your passion unchecked, this is why we need to learn to live by principle and not be driven by passion because we often can make bad decisions out of emotion. How many of you ever, if you think back, some of the bad decisions you've made, maybe not all the time, but some of the times, maybe most of the time, you were maybe, you were maybe caught up in your feelings. You maybe had your, you sent that email that you wish you didn't say, but you were, you were mad. You said that word you wish you didn't say. Come on. You kept dating that guy that you wish you would have broke it off with. Come on, somebody. If he's here with you, just look straight ahead. Get real awkward, okay? But we can, we can, we can, we got, we got to learn to live by principle. And, and Samson, there's two, two emotions that really end up creating problems in Samson's life. This first one is his anger. In Judges 15, what happens is his in-laws deceive him and he gets angry. I want you to read this. Maybe you've never read this. Maybe you have, but read it with fresh eyes. This is in the Bible. If you ever think, man, the Bible's kind of boring, read Judges 15. Listen to this, verse 3. Samson said, this time I have the right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. Catch this. So he went out and caught 300 foxes. If you have a hard time with animal cruelty, just plug your ears right now, okay? <laughs> he tied them tail to tail in pairs. He fastened a torch to every pair of tails. He lit the torches. So imagine 300 foxes on fire. He then released them into standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks, the standing grain, together with the vineyards and olive groves. Yes, the wine and olive oil was also destroyed. The Philistines then asked, who did this? They were told, Samson, 
the Timonite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. So the Philistines went up, catch this, they burned her and her father-in-law to death. So he lit 300 foxes on fire. The man caught 300 foxes. That's impressive. And then he burned them. And then he let them loose to burn up all of their, essentially their resources. It's like somebody emptying your bank account. Because then your, your, your grain and your olives and your, your vineyards were, were your, that was your resource. Here's what Samson learned the hard way. A biblical principle in the Old and New Testament that I want us to grab hold of. And let me read Galatians 6 to you. This spells it out. Paul writes this. This is New Testament. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. That word mocked means uh, uh, God will not be treated with insincerity. A man reaps what he sows. In other words, whatever you put into life is oftentimes what you get out of life. Samson sowed violence. Samson reaped violence. Are you following me? And it's important that we understand that whatever we sow into life is what we reap in life. Now, there can be a disconnect sometimes because maybe you have this vision of whatever it might be, writing a book or having a healthy family or a vibrant relationship with God or being at a certain place financially. But just because God gave you a vision doesn't mean he will bring it to pass. God will often give you a vision so you will sow in faith towards that vision. And listen, I want you to catch this. Expecting to reap where you have not sown is entitlement. And entitlement is not biblical. I'm going to say it again for the people in the back. Come on, I'm just kidding. Expecting to reap where you have not sown is entitlement. That is anti-biblical. Let me make it practical. When I first got married to Christina, I always had, and I thought, and it is from God, this vision to have this healthy family, like that my wife would be my best friend. We'd have this vibrant relationship on all fronts, super close, and my kids would just be this like beautiful home. So here was a disconnect for Jeremy. Jeremy was acting entitled. Because I was expecting to reap a healthy family, but Jeremy was sowing everything into his work. So there was a disconnect. There was tension in the home. And can I tell you, it was my fault. Because I wasn't sowing in quality time with Christina. Come on, how many know you need to have conversation with your spouse? Come on, somebody. And all the wives said, amen. The men are like, what? I know. I had to learn that. Um, I had to sew in supporting my wife at home. Like I was leaving her to do like so many things where I was just into work, just put myself into work. Listen, I was acting entitled because I was like, I should have a healthy marriage. God, that, that was the vision you gave me, but I wasn't doing anything about it. So until I had a loving mentor in my life, In much nicer words, say, Jeremy, you are being a bad husband. Can I tell you, it was a wound from a friend. Can I tell you, I thank God for that wound. It changed my life. 
It made me realize I am expecting to reap where I have not sown. Therefore, I'm acting entitled, and I'm missing out on what God has for me. So here's what I want to encourage you with, is whatever you feel like God's given you a vision for, maybe it's a healthy marriage, you need to sow into it. So you need to sow into date nights. You need to sow into being a supportive spouse and whatever they need. Here's a question that helped our marriage early on. I know I'm just speaking to, or if you want to envision yourself being married one day, we would ask each other, how can I be a better husband? And then brace yourself. Come on, somebody. But I'm telling you, that very question can change your marriage. Or if you're like, man, I, God, I, I see blessed finances. I'm walking blessed financially. But you don't live by principle, a budget, you live by passion, and then you're spending more than you make. And then, let's just speak biblically, the Bible says whoever sows generously reaps generously, whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly, and the apostle Paul was talking about generosity. So we cannot expect to be blessed financially if we're not giving generously. That's biblical. So a lot of times we're expecting to reap a harvest we have not sown. Are you following me, church? Can I tell you, spiritually speaking, sometimes we can expect, man, I want a vibrant relationship. I want to hear from God. I want to be, I want to, you know, be led by the Spirit of God. Are you sowing into your relationship with God? Are you, are you in church, which I'm speaking to the choir right now. Are you in church on Sundays? Every morning, are you opening the scriptures? You got to sow into where you want to go. Let me say one last thing about this. Because sometimes I fell into this fallacy. Just because you start sowing in faith to where you feel like God's called you doesn't mean you will reap a harvest tomorrow. Because, listen, if it took you years to get to that place, it might take you years of sowing to get you out of that place. Um, if I planted an apple seed tomorrow, uh, let's say I get up Monday morning and the first thing I do is I'm going to plant some, some apple seeds. I'm going to... I would not expect to walk out on Tuesday with a handful of apples. <laughs> Do you know it takes seven to ten years for an apple seed to turn into an apple tree that produces apples? Seven to ten years. The Bible was speaking in agrarian culture. Can I tell you, it may take you sowing in faith for years before you reap any kind of harvest. We can't say, all right, God, I got a budget. I'm putting you first in tithing. And next month, where's the blessing? <laughs> oh, God, okay, I'm dating my spouse. I'm, I'm working on my own issues. I'm trying to be more supportive. All right, God, she's still mad at me. Come on, somebody. It's like, well, maybe because you act like a knucklehead for seven years. Come on, somebody. I'm, that was me. You, you've been sowing in the opposite direction. So I want to speak this because sometimes I see a disconnect where we're like, God, why am I not seeing the blessing and the harvest? And he's like, why haven't you been sowing? You got to, we reap what we sow. So he gives in to, to anger. He reaps anger. Then he falls hard for Delilah. It says here in verse 4, of chapter 16. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman whose name was Delilah. And the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can, you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how he can, we, can, we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. 
he gets caught up in his feelings. And he ends up not walking by faith, but being led by feelings. And he makes a really bad decision. So Delilah attempts to deceive him, not once, not twice, three times. Come on, can I give some relationship advice? If the person you're with tries to deceive you, that means you leave them. Come on, somebody. Somebody needs to write that down. Okay. Right? This joker was so caught up in his feelings that he, he was allowing this woman to lead him. Can I tell you, be careful. Be careful of the influence you give your feelings. Feelings are a great dashboard indicator of where you are. They are a terrible navigator of your life. Have you ever met someone to say, you know what? I made this decision in anger, and it was the best decision of my life. <laughs> or you know what? I was on this spiraling anxiety, and I made this decision out of fear, and it's changed my life. No, right? I know it's somewhat laughable, but we all have been there, right? I have. You send that email, and you're a little too salty to send it. Come on. Then you wish you didn't send it. Or you say those words to that spouse or family member, and you did it in anger, and, and you wish you could pull those words back. We, we've all made decisions. Here's my concern. On a grander scale, sometimes we will not step into our calling because we're being led by fear. And we will call it wisdom. But you're really just scared. And listen, fear is going to happen. But we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. I've seen also relationally, kind of speak for a moment, to those in the dating season. Sometimes if you are dating someone, here's Delilah. Delilah ends up pulling him away from God and the will of God for his life. When you are, I have seen people on fire for God. They start dating someone, and they slowly get pulled away. When you are dating someone, here's an indicator to look for. Do they inspire you in your relationship with God, or do they pull you further back from God? Because can I tell you, as much as you want to date and be married, the most important relationship you will ever have is the eternal one, and that is with Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. So when you want someone who's going to push me forward, not pull me because Delilah pulled him back, but he was caught up in his feeling. Jeremiah, the Lord says this about our feelings, that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Listen, if you do not live by principles, you will end up being a slave to your passions. And you will wonder, why do I keep making bad relationship decisions? Why am I keep being in debt? Why is my relationship with God not growing? Why? It's because you're not living principled. So you got to have principles. As a passionate person myself, my life is surrounded by principles. Like putting God first. I give God the first of my day. I give God the first of my week in church. I put God first in my fi- That's a principle. I don't think about it. Like, I don't, I don't, man, do I feel like reading my Bible today? No, it's a principle, not a passion. That, that in your relationships, married people, have a regular date. date. I, I, we, don't, we don't decide, Christina and I, each week we have a date. We don't decide, do we, should we date this week? No, we, we date every week because we, we know it's best for us. Like, you need principles, living by a budget. You need principles in your life to protect you from your passions. Here's the last point, is we then have to avoid distractions 
and restore devotion. So Delilah, this is, the, this is now the last time, Delilah is telling him, how can you say you love me when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's room. Remember I told you under the first point? If you tell your secrets to no one, you'll tell your secret to the wrong someone. He just told his secret to the wrong someone because this secret revealed ends up getting him put to death. So he, he tells her. She's nagging him. She's, she's, she's begging him. You know, the word Delilah in the original Hebrew, the root word, it means devotee. But here's what Delilah was. Delilah distracted Samson from his devotion to God. It, it, she distracted Samson from the voice of God, from the spirit of God. Now, here's my question for you. Is what in your life are you most prone to be distracted by that distracts you from the spirit of God? That distracts you from hearing the voice of God? It can be a good thing, but it's in the God place of your life. It can be work. I've shared before, very frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm a work in progress on this. But for me, for years, it was work. I'd get so consumed with work that you can end up being more devoted to something other than God. It can be school. It can be the pursuit of wealth and possessions. God has no problem with these things. He has a problem when they have your heart. It can be a relationship that you end up getting distracted, pulled away. My question for you is, what is your Delilah? What's that thing in your life that and if you be honest with the Lord, we all have something that you, it kind of can just take your heart. It kind of ends up taking your heart affections. And then what I love here is at the end of, of Samson's life. So he's, he's now bound by the Philistines. And he's being taken into the temple. And I want you to, to hear this. This is the end of, of Judges chapter 16. They're bringing him in. And, and it says that Samson said to the servant, who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars and support the temple so I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Verse 28, Samson then prays, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please God, strengthen me just once more. Let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines from my two eyes. He then reaches toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. He said, let me die with these Philistines. He pushed with all of his might. Down came the temple on the rulers and all of the people in it. Thus, he killed many more when he died than while he lived. The worship team can come. I'm going to close this here. Here's why I love the life of Samson. We just covered the first two, two uh, points. Samson was clearly a flawed man. Would you agree? 
greatly gifted, deeply flawed. He had a weakness with women. He got caught up in his emotions. He, he got caught up in his anger. But what I love in this moment is here's Samson. He's reaping what he's sown. They're going to take his life. He dies in this moment. But what I love is in his final moments on the earth, he says, place me between the two pillars because he knows perhaps if God would give me one more chance, if, if God would, would be gracious enough in this moment to give me one more opportunity, I will do what he had set me out to do all along. You know, earlier in the scriptures, I don't know if I mentioned this, the Bible says Samson's original purpose was to destroy the Philistines. But he married them. But here in his final moment, and I love this because here's Samson. I mean, you would think Samson, he's been living a life of rebellion his whole life. Like not listening to anyone, not listening to God. But he says, oh, sovereign Lord, if just one more time, man, I know I messed up. If just one more time, you would give me strength. I will do what you've called me to do. And here's what I love. God didn't pull out a, a list and say, Samson, ah, but you, you slept with that prostitute. You married that Philistine woman. You, 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 you responded in anger. You ate from a dead carcass. You cut your hair. He didn't do any of that, did he? Nor did he say, hey, Samson, you know what? I will help you if you do these things first. Can we be honest for a moment? Sometimes we can, we can falsely expect, especially in our brokenness, that when we come to God, he's kind of holding our sin over our head. He's kind of holding our, our shortcomings. He's holding our failures. You know what the Bible says? When you confess your sin, God is faithful to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And also we can expect, I heard people say this, well, Jeremy, I, I, I need to do some things first before I get right to God. Come on, Samson was blind and weak. He could do nothing in his own effort. Here's the beauty of Samson. That Samson's story is not actually about Samson. It's about the grace and the mercy of our God. And can I tell you, if you're here this morning and you're, you recognize your own flaws, you recognize your own weaknesses, you recognize where you've fallen short in your marriage, you recognize that you have a struggle with some sin, you recognize your own weaknesses, and maybe you're thinking, God, how can you use someone like me? Can I encourage you in the life of Samson? I'm reminded of the verse that Paul penned where he said that God's grace is sufficient, that in our weakness, his strength is perfected. It was never about Samson. It was always about God. And can I encourage you? Listen, Christianity, as I said earlier, this isn't the do better club. This isn't a how do we become more moral club. This is we need the grace of God club. We need Jesus Christ of Nazareth Club. We need the power of God Club. 
because the Bible says all have fallen short. Doesn't mean there won't be natural consequences. Samson died. He, he had a natural consequence. Doesn't mean that you can do all this sin, all this wrong, and you won't be, have negative consequences. But as Genesis 50, 20 says, that what the enemy meant for evil, God can turn it for good.